Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Taylor Tipton, and I'm a senior with Refuge. And I'm an introvert. As an introvert, I value alone time and solitude. When I graduated early from high school on December 22nd of 2016, I was absolutely elated at the amount of solitude that was going to come my way during a brief period of unemployment. However, as I went on, I realized that I was pretty lonely. I felt as though I had no friends, although I knew that my refuge family was always there for me, and I had family that was there for me. But my head sometimes tells me otherwise. I guess that when I left the bustling halls of JC and I was no longer constantly shuffling through crowded hallways of people no more than an inch apart, if you were lucky, that I realized how few, how few people that I actually reached out to, how few people I tried my best to connect with, and how many people I looked at and automatically judged based on some silly stereotype. Oh, she's an athlete. I'm sure she wouldn't want to get to know me. He's a math whiz. Clearly, he doesn't have time for the music nerd. Maybe, had I opened my mind, I could have reached out and helped someone who needed it. Leaving high school and doing what people my age call adulting, also known as working and not having to ask permission to go to the bathroom when you need to, has made me open my eyes quite a bit. High school is not the big picture. Far from it, actually. Once you leave those walls, you have a brief moment of, oh my goodness, this is real, what am I going to do? I will never have to go to another high school class again. College, however, will be right around the corner for some, but we know that it will be a whole new world with tons of new opportunities, and hopefully those opportunities will start after 7.55 in the morning. The founder of the organization, Trite Love on Her Arms, a suicide prevention agency, once said, you'll need coffee shops and sunsets and road trips, airplanes and passports and new songs and old songs, but people more than anything else. You will need other people, and you will need to be that other person to someone else. A living, breathing, screaming invitation to believe better things. I feel like that whole quote can be wrapped up in a neat little package with a four-word bow. People need other people. It's simple as that, really. I stumbled upon this passage a year or two ago, and it was one of those things that kind of just goes in one ear and out the other. Oh, that's nice, was about all the thought that went into it. But these verses have stayed with me. I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness, a solitary person completely alone, no children, no family, no friends, yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog, never having any fun, and who cares, more smoke, a bad business. It's better to have a partner than to go it alone, share the work, share the wealth, and if one falls down, the other helps, but if no one's there to help, tough. Two in a bed warm each other, alone you shiver all night. By yourself you're unprotected, with a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. Ecclesiastes 4, 7-12. Now let's go back and look at a couple of those little points. It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth, and if one falls down, the other helps. People need other people. Two in a bed warm each other, alone you shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-standard rope isn't easily snapped. People need other people. Now, when I left in December, I had one friend in particular I was extremely close to. We had classes together, and we were always communicating. Once we left the halls of JC together, we went in complete opposite directions. She had a job immediately and had other things occupied her time. I, on the other hand, was searching for a job, spending lots of time with refuge, and copious amounts of time with my dog. I thought I was fine. 
I'm invincible, right? I don't need a friend. I'm good. We went over two months without even speaking to each other. And you know what? We thought we were angry at each other for whatever reason. Recently, we had a brief yelling match, as women like to do, and we got our feelings out, which really reconciled a lot of the hard feelings, although nothing had really happened. Through this reconciliation, I was really reminded that people need other people. I was lonely, and a person can only go so long on their own without a confidant. I will need others, despite how I desire to be independent. You will need others, despite your desire to appear strong. There are always some things in this life you can do, but you cannot handle them alone. And while, yes, we have and have always had the Lord on our side, sometimes the strongest thing you can do is ask for help and not tackle life's toughest obstacles alone. God has given us others so that he can speak to us through them. People need other people. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Rashawn Legali, and I'm a senior at JCHS. I've been a member of First Baptist Church ever since my mom adopted me when I was two years old. This morning, I want to share with you a story, an experience in which I became closer to God, not just to let you all know this, but just to really put forth God's glory. When I was first asked if I'd like to give a sermon, I said yes. I knew exactly what I was going to talk about today. But as it became close to the time, I got extremely nervous, as most anyone will do, but I decided that I still need to give this sermon. So my first verse from Proverbs 29.11, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. When you think about this, when, how many of you have ever just done something with your anger just because it felt right? I know I have, but that was bringing the rage. I didn't bring the calm in that situation. I've always struggled with anger ever since I was little. I even have to take medication to help with this. But one time last year, I was sitting at home relaxing watching TV, and I started to feel extremely angry. I started to hate everything, even the things I liked. And this is what gave me the idea that I was giving into my anger without knowing it. I opened up a verse on my phone from Ecclesiastes 7 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools. I know I've experienced this firsthand many times in my life. But while reading this verse, I decided to pray to God. I don't know why. I just did. And then suddenly, all my anger just vanished, just gone like that. I know that there are unexplainable events, such as someone may survive a car crash where they should have died. But that can be explained by a seatbelt if they're lucky. But anger disappearing, that's unexplainable. And I knew that God was right there with me in that moment, helping me to be the best person I could be. He plays a lot, God plays a large part in our lives, but this was an extremely large part that I had noticed for the first time. I knew that I wanted to talk about this and share this story because I want you all to know how great God is in our lives. I've heard an excellent Buddhist teaching. It was holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. You are the one that gets burned. I've experienced this many times in my life. The most prominent memory being when I was younger, I went to Apple Tree Academy, and I was kicked out because I got angry and bit another kid. So I grasped that hot coal, and while I may have thrown it, 
I may not have thrown it because I, got, I was kicked out and that was me being burned. I realize that with this quote, I am one of the many people that have grasped onto their anger and let it control them. But I, need to, I know I need to control this anger before I am burned much worse than being kicked out of a preschool. I need to stop the biting from turning into murdering and being kicked out of a preschool into turning to going to prison just because it seemed like a good idea at the time. After all of this, I realized that God is helping me to control the raging fire I have inside just so that I can be who I'm meant to be. I know if there's anything that you all struggle with, maybe it isn't anger like me, but something else. Just take heed of this message this morning and pray to God, and maybe he too can help you. Good morning. My name is Cameron Lauf. I'm a senior this year, and this is my third year in youth group. My youth group experience began in the summer of 2014 when I decided to attend the New Orleans mission trip. I didn't exactly decide on my own, as it was more of my grandparents basically made me go. Um, I was pretty hesitant about going since I didn't know anybody in the group very well. The thought of leaving for a week with people I barely knew was intimidating to me. I finally decided since my grandparents paid for me to go, I was going. And I'm so glad I did. This was the first time I ever had the experience of helping people in such a big way. The youth mission trip to New Orleans turned out to be a pretty big turning point in my life. At the time, I came to church, but that was the only time I ever thought about God. I almost never prayed or read the Bible on my own. I knew there was more to knowing God than just an hour of listening on Sunday mornings. I just didn't know what to do to get more out of it. I thought about praying about it, but since God can't physically talk to us, what was the point? How would he let me know what I was supposed to do? Occasionally at church, I would hear about times when people would talk about a connection with God. They explained a connection with God as seeing God and feeling his presence. I had no idea what they were talking about or what they meant by seeing God. My idea of seeing God was looking up in the sky and there he would be, ready to tell me exactly what I needed to know. It was on this trip to New Orleans when I finally did see God. No, not physically in the sky like I thought I would, but through the work we were doing and the positive impact we were having on people. While I did see it through the work we were doing, helping people in need, it was mostly through singing as a choir in the evenings throughout the week. Singing isn't my favorite thing to do, but seeing the joy we brought to other people was amazing to me. This was when I first realized who God really was and what a connection with him is like. As I thought about this trip more and more over the past few years, I tend to think about God's plan for me, how New Orleans was such a big part of it. I didn't even know God had a plan for me at the time. I have come to believe that even though he has a plan for us, we have to have enough faith to follow it. In just a few short months, I'm heading off to college and beginning life on my own. At times, I get anxious knowing that this is a big step and I don't know exactly how things will be. I have a lot of plans for myself in the future, and it can be hard to figure out if that is what God wants for my future. This is where having faith comes in. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. 
By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. If you remember, verse 1 in a different translation is the memory verse for the sermon series Doyle has been preaching on. But what sticks out to me is the last part of verse 3, what we see created by what we don't see. So we don't have to look up in the sky and physically see God to have faith in him. And when we pray, we don't have to physically hear exactly what he wants us to do to believe in him. Back to Hebrews 11, the beginning of verse 7 says, By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. Noah was an example of true faith in putting his full trust in God. I wish I had the time to read all of Hebrews 11 today, but I want to encourage you to do so. It is full of stories of people like Noah acting by faith. I'm not the most knowledgeable person when it comes to the Bible, but I do know the reoccurring theme throughout Scripture is God's great love for us. So when it comes to having faith, we can be confident in knowing that God wants the very best for us. Why would we not want to trust him and follow the plan he has for us? How could our own personal plans for ourselves possibly be better than God's plans for us because of how much God loves us. After the mission trip to New Orleans, and even today, I think about what my relationship with God and my relationships with the other youth would be like had I not gone. And the truth is, I probably wouldn't have much of a relationship with either. The main thing I got out of this experience was the benefit of trusting God. The decision to get out of my comfort zone has completely changed me. I'm led to believe that God does have a plan for all of us, we would, when we decide to have faith and follow that plan, great things can come of it. Thank you. Morning, everyone. I'm going to try to get through this without um, cracking my voice. <laughs> um, when Mel asked me to do this message, um, unlike my, my uh, fellow companions, I was not very sure about what I was going to say. <laughs> Um, I was very nervous, very, um, that's how I usually am actually, I'm very hard on myself. Um, so this morning I'm going to share with you a story about how I came back to Christ. It was, uh, I've always been in the church, but this morning is going to be a little, little story about how I came back. So um, identity, it's something that we all strive to ad- establish in our lives. Um, we do it with how we dress, how we act. Um, or even who we legally are, because we all get that social security card when we're born. Um, But what is it really, though? We don't really dive deep into what it really is. So I looked at the dictionary definition of what identity is, and it says it's the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. So basically, identity is who we are, which makes sense. So um, towards the end of my freshman year, I struggled with finding my identity. Thoughts ran through my head telling me that I wasn't wealthy enough, pretty enough, skinny enough, or smart enough. (laughs) Um, I began believing all these thoughts that came in my head daily. Every morning I would say to the girl in the mirror, you're really not good enough. My thoughts soon turned to action, unbeknownst to my mother. Three times a day for a total of three hours, I would work out in my basement to the point of exhaustion. I restricted the number of calories that I would eat because I feared being fat. Instead of believing the truth that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, 
I only let my mother purchase brand name clothes and things that would make me make a statement. Fast forward through the summer to my sophomore year, first day of my sophomore year. I was dressed up with fancy shoes and a necklace. New school supplies, they were all brand name. My stomach growled in pain as I walked up the hill of JCHS, reminding me that I'd forgotten to eat after my workout. What my stomach didn't know was that it was intentional. I was trying to make a statement. I was trying to establish my identity to fill the void in my heart. As every school day passed, I realized not a single person had really noticed me or really cared about what I had looked like. I was sick, tired, and broken and confused. I ran helplessly to the arms of my mother to tell her everything that I had been doing. Like any child, I feared that she would never look at me the same way, that she'd be angry. But she welcomed me with open arms, like the homecoming of the prodigal son. She loved me no matter what. Feeling completely defeated that evening, I cried out to Jesus for answers. Of all my attempts to establish my identity, I was finally understanding why the world wouldn't satisfy my heart. The, the brand name clothes, my appearance, and my grades, none satisfied me. In fact, they just left me more broken. Wrapped up in my own thoughts and beliefs, I drifted far away from the truth that can only come from God. Our identity is found in his undying, unconditional love for us. God is love. We are loved. All of scripture echoes the truth of his great love for us. But I want to share with you from Psalm 139, a passage that reminds me of who I am and what I am to God. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit up or stand down. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And also 13 through 14. Um, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. He made us fearfully and wonderfully in his image. Since his image is love and our identification is only found in the one who can satisfy all the weary and the wandering, then his image is who we are. We were made to love everyone and that everyone includes ourselves. God doesn't care about how much money you have, how much you weigh, if you got all A's in school, or if you have the most followers on Instagram. That's a thing nowadays. (laughs) He only wants you to love him and others just as wholeheartedly as he loves and created you. We are loved. We were created out of love. We were made to love. That is our identity.